So, well, we're, if, if your notes look really familiar to last week, it's because they're the same notes. So, uh, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get through, and uh, <clears throat> it was going to take most of the hour to finish up, but I didn't get finished up. So, um, next week we'll finish it off with chapter six. That's a shorter chapter. But let's, uh, let's start right in the first verse of Galatians 5.1. I know we've covered this, but let's just read through the first part of that chapter again to, you know, to just touch any high points because we kind of hurried once again towards the end of it. But Paul begins and he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of, of bondage. And so we talked about the fact that that word stand fast, that that's a military term, and it means to, uh, to hold ground, to um, not budge, to stay there. And um, we're, we're not supposed to, uh, we've, we've been set free, so don't allow yourself to be placed back under bondage once again with the yoke of bondage. He says, and do not be entangled with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say that say to you that if you become circum, circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And so what he's talking about here is, he's talking about trust. Where do you put your trust? Are you putting your trust in a physical act or are you putting your trust in the completed works of Jesus. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Once again, <clears throat> he's not talking so much about the, the actual act of circumcision. He's talking about it from the standpoint of, of being legalistic or being the law. And he, he's saying if you're, if you're going to keep one part of it, then you're, you're required uh, to keep all of it. Um, there, there's no, I'm doing my best, or we try. That, that doesn't qualify. He says if you're going to keep circumcision, if you're trusting in that, you've got to um, keep it all. Verse 4, you have been in, in uh, estranged from Christ, who, who attempt to be justified by the law. You've fallen from grace. And remember, we talked about this last week as well, you know, that falling from grace doesn't mean, uh, it isn't talking about us falling back into sin or whatever. Falling from grace is when we get back uh, to trusting in ourselves again for our salvation because that was the downfall of the children of Israel. That was the downfall of the law. Uh, well, that's why the law was presented in the first place, because um, they weren't trusting in God. They were convinced in and of themselves that they could, they could do it. They could keep it. And so he's saying that when you fall back into that, that's what falling from grace is. You're estranged from Christ in our attempts to be justified um, by the law. In other words, we're separated from him. Salvation 
is through Christ and through He alone. Um, there, there's no other avenue. Uh, I know a few years ago there was a teaching that went around. <clears throat> and it was, I forget the exact term that they, they used, but they, 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 they called it a, the plurality of salvation or something like that. I don't remember the term that they used. But they said there was one method of salvation available <clears throat> to uh, the Gentiles, but then another um, to, the, to the Jews. Um, the Jews must be born again. There's only one way of salvation. It's Christ alone for salvation. Now the Jews have a special place. They're God's people. I don't want to make light of that. You know, they're, they're his chosen people. You know, but even when it's talking about them, it talks about how the stumbling stone to them is Jesus. The, keeps, the, the thing that keeps them from running the race is, is faith in Jesus because they've been, in, they've been so indoctrinated with keeping the law and doing everything perfectly. It's very difficult for them to, to transition, to put their trust in, in Jesus. But <clears throat> I hope I get through this tonight. But I, I just, I was listening to just a little bit of John Hagee and uh, the other morning, Matthew was talking. And he said there were, there were, there were 25 Jewish rabbis throughout the world that had come together and they'd done a study. And within their study, they had come to the conclusion that Jesus was much, was much more than just simply a prophet. I didn't get to hear the whole teaching, so I don't know what their their final, final disclosure was. You know, but, but amongst the, the Jewish rabbi, Jesus has always been just a, a prophet or a teacher, you know, that was a little bit deceived. Um, but they, they, they came to the conclusion in their study of the Old Testament, the Torah, that, that Jesus was more than just simply a prophet. And well, um, Israel will be saved, but Israel's only means of salvation is through Jesus Christ. They're responding now. So uh, I'll get a hold of them later. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is no other way of salvation other than through Jesus. And that's the point that he's bringing across here. The issue isn't really circumcision. The issue is what are you putting your trust in? Because what the, the Judaizers had done to the Galatians is they had moved them away from putting their trust in Jesus and in He alone, and they began to put their trust in their works once again. For if Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. I skipped the first verse. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's where our hope is. It's in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision, uncircumcision, avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith works through love. Verse 7. You ran well. 
who hindered you from obeying the truth. You were running well. Who hindered you? And remember, we talked about that word hindered, that it's a, a track term that's used to be cut off. Who cut you off? Who cut in on you? Who um, caught you off guard and therefore you lost your stride? When you were walking in faith, you were in stride. You were running your race well, but you got off stride. Verse 8. Um, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. In other words, the one who calls you isn't doing this. Now, verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I made re reference to this last week, and I just want to make reference to it again, as oftentimes when we think about the leaven, we think about um, sin. But sin isn't the topic in the context of what he's talking about here. In the context of what, what Paul is talking about in his teaching, he's talking about um, the law or trusting in anything other than putting our trust completely in Christ Jesus. And so what he says is a, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. In other words, if you... <clears throat> If I trust the fact that I go to church every Sunday morning for my salvation, that's leaven. If I trust the fact that I take communion once a month as, as a means of salvation, that's, that's leaven. If I trust the fact that I was baptized as an infant, that's leaven. Because I'm putting my trust in anything. So it isn't, it isn't just, you know, understand when we're talking about law, it can be anything. We've got a lot of people in churches that pay absolutely no attention to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but they're still operating under the law because the, the powers that be have sent it down through the line that this is what's essential, necessary for you to experience salvation. So only one thing essential for you to experience salvation, and that's to put your faith in Christ alone and trust him completely. That's the point that he's talking about here. You know, and so when we're talking about the Judaizers, what they're doing can be attributed <laughs> to what so much of the church is doing, the so-called church. You know, there was uh, somebody that got a text by accident they were making reference to us at Abundant Life Ministries as, as being a cult. And of course, I know the church that these individuals go to. But what they don't realize, if you take the definition of cult, the church they're going to, which is a typical denominational church, fit in better with the description of a cult than what we do. Because... We don't trust anything but Jesus. You know, and uh, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ's followers. And we trust in him. And we trust him in him alone for our salvation. So a little leaven will leaven a whole, a whole lump. You know, uh, the Protestants were 
celebrating 500 years of the Reformation. And I'm convinced of one thing. Martin Luther would be excommunicated today. The dude is radical. You know, and uh, he wouldn't fit into the form that's been structured. He wouldn't fit in. And uh, it, they, they would call it rebellion, but he would rebel against it because he'd have nothing to do with it. I, I believe the same thing is true of Wesley. I believe the same thing is true of Knox. All of these great reformers, they would not be accepted today because of their, uh, of their radical positions. You know, I just wish people would go back and study, not talking about America's founding fathers, I'm talking about the church's founding fathers as Protestants, our founding fathers. Because we would find, I have found, that their teachings don't line up with the teachings that are coming out of the denominations that claim them today. And uh, so anyway, that, that's just another thought. But, but see, this, this is the thought. A little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. I remember in the denomination that I grew up in, um, there, was, there was reference to infant baptism. It was an important element. It was an important ingredient. Um, but it wasn't emphasized as strongly as it is today. And I've, I've seen the evolution of that to where it came to the point to where they began to preach unless you're baptized, you're not saved. And I know this for a fact, because I was in a Bible study one time with people uh, with infant baptism, and, and I was going through the foundations, and so I'd gotten into water baptism, and so I, I knew I had some sprinklers there, uh, but I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna back down just because of the sprinklers, and so I, 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 te I taught on immersion. And, you know, and they, they took issue with it. And so I said to them, I said, then according to what you're saying, if a baby is born and that baby isn't baptized, but that baby dies, that baby goes to hell. They paused and they looked at me and said, yes, that's what I believe. I, I don't believe that. I believe in the age of accountability. Um, now it's gotten to the point that within that denomination, you know, because this was asked of me one time because I was in the hospital with somebody that had a baby and the baby was premature and they were gonna transfer the baby to, um, uh, to Des Moines. And one of the nurses asked me if uh, uh, they wanted me, wanted them to get a, um, a little thing of water so that I could baptize the baby um, before they left to Des Moines. I says, no, that's, that's not necessary. But you know what? Most, I rephrase that, many of these pastors, the moment that their child is born, they baptize them in the delivery room. And then they'll have the service of baptism in the church. But they do that because of fear. Let me tell you what the law, I, this, 
not even going to get to the new stuff tonight. But this is what law will do to you. It promotes fear. Jesus came to bring us peace. Jesus came to bring us joy. Jesus came to bring us comfort. All of that is totally opposite of what when somebody begins to impose their laws. What if, what if I don't get my baby baptized? What if, we don't, we don't, what if we don't get it in time? That's the kind of God we serve that's going to move, that's going to motivate us by fear. It's not my God. I tell you, when I, when I got introduced to Jesus or peace. Anyway, hallelujah. Verse 10. I have confidence. Here, here Paul says, well, after he said all this, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And of course, he's talking about the Judaizers. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? when the offense of the cross has ceased. And so he's saying, you know, because they were saying that actually Paul still believed in circumcision. He says, well, if I do believe that, then why are you still persecuting me? But notice the terminology then, because he says, because if that's the case, then the stumbling block, the obstacle of the cross has been removed. You can't have both. We either walk by faith or we walk by obeying the laws that have been laid down, whatever those laws may be. And he says, why trouble him? You know, um, lost my place. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution when the offense of the cross has ceased. Because if we're trusting in our efforts, the cross has no effect in our life. In other words, it's no longer a stumbling block. It's no longer a problem because it's been removed. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. We talked about that last week. That, you know, if... If a little is a good, much must be better. He's using the same concept as, as uh, Butterfinger candy bars. You know, Butterfinger candy bar used to be about this big. Now you go to the store and they're about that big. You know, so if, if a little is good, just think how much better a lot is. And that's why he's talking here. You know, I use it in reverse in, in, if re, in reference to, to circumcision. For you, brethren, have been called. I love this verse. Don't you just love this verse? I love this verse. For if you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. See, your flesh still wants to take opportunity. You know, and that's where... That's where the obedience comes in. It's the obedience to the Holy Spirit. Is recognizing, saying no to the flesh. I'm not going to allow you to rule and reign in my life any longer. You know, because the flesh will always want to do what the flesh has always done. 
The mind, until it's renewed, will always want to think the way that it's always thought. That's why we have to renew the mind. That's why we have to crucify the flesh. And crucifying the flesh basically means saying no to it. But through love, we serve one another. You see, love is, love is the answer. You know, if we love God, we're going to serve God. If we love one another, we're going to serve one another. If we love God, I'm not going to have any other gods before him. I'm going to, I'm going to honor the Sabbath day. I'm going to, um, you know, not have any gods before him. If I love others, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to covet what they have. I'm going to rejoice with those that rejoice. I'm going to weep with those that weep. Why? Because I love them. It's not talking about a, a love that we work up. It's, it's talking about the love that has been imparted into our lives when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We made it. This is where we ended up last week. Verse 14. And now he gets into the practical part of it. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself and you'll fulfill the law. I, I mean, somebody that enjoys hurting themselves is sick. Amen. Anybody that, that wants to hurt themselves, do themselves harm, they have, they have an issue. And so, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, we can look at it from the other standpoint. If you don't love yourself, you're, it's impossible for you to love your neighbor. Well, how do I ever love myself? By understanding the love of God. Knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. The only way we can love ourselves is to know who we are in Christ because we stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking at our own activities. We stop looking at what we do, who we are, and we begin to look at who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. That's what empowers us. Number one, to be able to love self and to be able to love one another. But if we bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, and mainly here, what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's talking about the tongue. You know, and James talks about that if we can control our, our tongue, you know, it compares it to the rudder of a ship, how it can direct the direction of the entire ship. And he, he says, if, if we can control our tongues, we can control the direction that we go in life. Just think about it from the standpoint of, of positive confession. If, if you think negative of yourself and you speak negative things of yourself, you have a negative expectation of yourself and that negativity will direct your life. When I thought that, you know, when I believed that I was, uh, I was stupid and, and, and ignorant and, and couldn't do these things, I'm, I measured up to every one of those expectations. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a plumber. But I went into plumbing because I figured I didn't have to study anything or read anything or anything like that. You know, that, that was my motivation. And uh, because I was, I was too dumb to be something else. But coming to understand who I was in Christ Jesus, 
allowed me to go back to school, allowed me to get uh, uh, my training for the ministry, allowed me to go back and get my bachelor's and master's and, and doctorate. It's, it's knowing who I am in Christ Jesus that enabled me to do that. And, and that's how it is in our life. And so, but that's how it is over other people. If we, if we, how do we speak over other people? How we speak over other people is oftentimes a direct reflection of how we see ourselves. Because if we've got to tear everybody else down, what that says is that we have a low image of ourselves and we're trying to bring everybody else down to our level. And so that's why it's important for us to know who we are in Christ Jesus. The bite and the devouring that'll destroy. Then verse 16, I say then, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember what we read earlier in verse 13. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. How do we do that? By walking after the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So what do you do? Well, it's just like Abraham. Remember we read a chapter ago. What did Abraham have to do with Hagar, which represented the law of the flesh? He had to lop it off. That's what we have to do. We have to say to the flesh, no, I give you no place in my life anymore. I cast it out. Now, of course, we can't cast out our flesh. We've got to live in this thing until we either die or Jesus comes back. We're, you're stuck with it. And so we might as well make all the improvements that we can. Amen. Don't shut me down now. You know, but, but it's as we walk in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and we focus on the Spirit, that what's, that's what gives us dominance over the flesh. But you know, most of the time what's happening is the flesh is dominating. I don't want to do that. Okay, we won't. I'm too tired this morning. Okay. I, I, we just yield to it. Rather than walk after the Spirit and give its, it its proper place in our life. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Well, Pastor, we're not under the law anyway. Well, you know, law, ha law still has a purpose. You know, if, if we're not following after the Spirit, we don't know, you know, well, really. As a born-again believer, you have the Spirit of God in you, and every time we screw up, we know it. Hey, Amen, don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know it's true. Every time we mess up, we know it. And the Spirit of God wants to lead us away from that. And so we don't, we don't have to worry about, am I keeping the rules and the regulations? If I'm following the leading of the Spirit, 
I'm going to, I'm going to unintentionally keep the law. Listen to this in Romans, the eighth chapter and the second verse. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. See, that's why it, it, isn't, it isn't the law that was weak. The law was weak because of the avenue that it had to use. And the avenue that it had to use was the flesh. And so it says, well, let me start again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free, has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so as we walk according to the Spirit, the righteous, see, the requirements are righteous. The righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled as we walk in the Spirit. And so as a born-again believer, the key is, what is the key? Walk in the Spirit. We don't have to worry about all this other stuff if we walk in the Spirit. But then he goes on and he begins to talk about the flesh. This is why we have to uh, take control over the flesh. For the, for the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh. Notice, that which is of the flesh is called works. Flesh produces work. We're going to see this. Spirit produces fruit. The thing about fruit is fruit continues to produce. Flesh produces works. And all you get out of works is a wage. Out of works you get what you deserve. But when we walk in the Spirit, it produces fruit. And that fruit continues to produce. But it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And here he's talking to um, those works of the flesh. He's not just simply talking about unbelievers. He's talking about the works of the flesh. And then the 21st, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Notice, <clears throat> these are not operations of demonic activity that have possessed your body. These are the works of the flesh. You know, I, I can remember when I first started to hear about demonology and so forth. I'd go to meetings and I'd just pray that somebody would cast the devil out of me. Pastor. No, really. I just want him to cast this stuff out of me. 
Well, nobody ever did. And the reason they couldn't was because it wasn't a devil. It was my flesh. What I needed to do was get born again. And, and even after I was born again, I needed to renew my mind and get control of my flesh. And so he's not talking here about demonic activity. Now, demonic activity can be involved in any of these things. But as a born-again believer, um, it's impossible for you to be possessed of the devil. He can intimidate, intimidate you. He can influence you, but he can't possess you. Because, don't get mad with this terminology, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. He lives in your spirit. Now, the only difference is the Holy Spirit will not make you do anything. He will not control you. He'll lead you. The leading of the Holy Spirit. The devil wants to control. And, uh, and so, if, if you have this fear that I have a devil, just be at peace. You don't. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because if you're here, I'm assuming if it's not so, then we'll take care of it at the end of the service. But I'm assuming that you're born again. If you're born again, your spirit is filled with his spirit. There's no room for devils. And so envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. The like means just in case your deal isn't mentioned here. <laughs> it's, it's not an all-inclusive list, but it's all-inclusive. Um, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So they said, well, you see, if somebody does these things, they're, they're not born again. No, practice means that this is your lifestyle. Sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Sinning is foreign to our nature because we have a brand new nature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So, so sin is foreign to us. Now maybe we've not taken the word and applied it in our life to where we've been able to come to the realization of that. Or maybe we've allowed the flesh to be in so much dominion, have so much dominance in certain areas of our life that, that we that we struggle with it. But sin is not natural to us. You know, that's why, you know, that's why so much sin is done in the dark. Because just like Adam, we're trying to hide. Because it goes contrary to who we are. And so here it's talking about the inheriting the kingdom of God 
You know, I believe it's talking about that if we're, if we're involved in these things, we're not going to experience the abundance of the blessing that's available to us in the kingdom of God. And it isn't because God doesn't want to bless us. We, we have a, we in a sense are rejecting what Christ has made available to us. But it's not our, it's no longer our lifestyle. It's no longer our nature because our, our nature has changed. These are the works of the flesh. This is what flesh produces. And like I said, it's not a complete list. First John 3, 9, it says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Whoa. I mean, that's kind of scary if you stop right there because... I've sinned. I'm born again. And since I've been born again, I've sinned once or twice. <laughs> A day. <clears throat> Hour. You know, so that, that's kind of scary. So that's why you don't stop there. See what he's really talking about. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his Seed, singular, his seed, his seed, capital, his, the seed of Jesus, singular, remains in him. Even though we sin, the seed remains in us. Can I hear a praise the Lord? <laughs> and he cannot sin. He cannot sin. The seed, the Jesus in us. Therefore, our spirit cannot sin. That's why if we follow the spirit, we will not sin because he has been born of God. Our spirit has been born of God. Not our way of life. We slip. We make a mistake. Sometimes with our eyes wide open, we walk into it. But the moment that we do it, we know we've done it. Let's not go with the Adam syndrome. We immediately go to him and acknowledge it. Repent, which means we make a decision. We're turning from it. Not going to go there no more. The seed is in our spirit man. He does not Sin. Notice what it says here at the end of that. He says, Of which I tell you, therefore, just as I also told you in time past. Notice it's personal, it's directed to us each individually. Just as I told you in times past, that those, all of a sudden, it becomes impersonal. Because he's talking about those out there. He changes it to those. First he's talking to the Galatians. But then he makes his reference to those, the, the Judaizers, 
that when we come in and we begin to try to operate in the way that they're telling us to operate, we're going to start experiencing the works of the flesh because we're no longer in the Spirit. That's why he says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh, by the works of the flesh? It, it's, it's all evolving around that same subject. And he, he brings it in at this point because he wants us to see what's going to happen when we revert back and we begin to try to operate by the flesh once and again. In other words, trying to keep certain rules, certain regulations, whatever it may be. Are we supposed to just rebellious and just run away from everything? That's not what he's talking about because remember he says, don't, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now I, I, I see why individuals have problems with how some people have approached grace because they've approached it from the standpoint, I can just do anything. Not if you're walking after the Spirit. Somebody that thinks they can just do anything, they talk about grace, but they're operating in the flesh. And so we can have the grace of God, but still operate in the flesh, but why would you? Because it's foolishness. Um, 1 Corinthians. You know, you know, Paul made the statement, he says, you know, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. We're not under the law, so things are lawful. So people say, well, I can go do whatever I want, but is it profitable? What is it going to produce in your life? Is it going to bear fruit that's going to remain? Or is it going to produce works that you bear a wage? And that wage will never satisfy. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, now he's talking to believers here. He says, because he says, And brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Isn't that interesting? Remember, we're huos. Positionally, we're adult, mature sons of God. That's where we are positionally. Here he's talking about them exper ex um, experientially. What, what you really see in the life of these believers when you when you look at their life. And he says, but I, but, as, but I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to brufos, or as to baby, nipos. I fed you with milk 
and now with solid food. For until you, and now, you are not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you're still carnal. Or carnal means you're still being ruled by the flesh. In other words, they haven't taken the word of God. They haven't renewed their mind. They haven't changed their thinking to the extent that it changed their actions. See, there's a, there's a process that takes place. We're born again. Then we take the Word of God, and through the Word of God, we renew our mind, we change our thinking. And as a result of changing our thinking, it changes our behavior, changes the way that we act. And it really isn't us doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it as He leads us. But we have to be in a position where we allow him to lead us. You can't lead somebody that will not listen to you. When God speaks, we listen. And when we listen, we follow. But if we refuse to hear, we remain carnal. Because the flesh will continue to rule and reign in our life. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal? And believing like mere men. That last statement is profound. Mere men. Do you realize we're not to be mere men? <laughs> we're supermen. Superwomen. Why? Because of the super Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of us. And so that's why the Bible says that we are to be a peculiar people. Peculiar means different. If we're not different from the world, we're the same. And if we're the same, then we're not peculiar. We're just fitting into the mold. We're just going with the flow. But when the Holy Spirit is in our life, he moves us. You know, I talked about it last week in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, where he's talking about um, the, the six elementary principles of Christ. But even in that, before he gets to the six elementary principles of Christ, listen to what he says in verse 5 of Hebrews. In the 12th verse, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to, to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not, not solid food. And so he's talking to these believers, and by now you ought to be eating solid food, but they, they're still sucking on the bottle. You know, in the natural when you have a child that's five years old, they ought to be sitting at the table eating solid food. But if you still have to give them a bottle, something's wrong. Amen. Well, you know what? The same thing is true spiritually speaking. There comes a point when we need to be off the bottle, off the milk, not that we won't still need milk, 
My mom's 80, 98 years old. And when I take her down to the cafeteria, I always know exactly where she sits. Because at her place, there will be two glasses of milk. Every day at 98, she drinks two glasses of milk at every meal. So that's at least six glasses of milk my mom drinks. You gotta be careful, you know, you drink too much milk, it'll kill you. You know, one of these days, it's gonna catch up with her. But you know what, she doesn't settle for the milk. She also has a solid food. And so he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Let me tell you something, you will never know your righteousness until you study the word of God. Until you see with your own eyeballs that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Until you see with your own eyes that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Until you read for yourself Ephesians, the first chapter, where it talks about all that you have in Christ Jesus, you'll still be obeyed. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Do you ever think about exercising your senses? How do we exercise our senses? We study the word, we see what the word says, we act upon it. You have your senses exercised to discern good from evil. Somebody says, well, I didn't know it was right. Then you've never studied the word. You've not, you've not um, exercised your sensors to be able to discern between good and evil. That's, that's what... That's what Spiritually speaking, that's what a baby is. Spiritually speaking, age has nothing to do with, uh, has absolutely nothing to do with physical age. Because we've probably got some kids downstairs that spiritually speaking are more mature than people that I know that have walked with the Lord for 30, 40 years. Because they know what the Word of God says and they not only know it, but they've begun to apply it in their life. That's, that's a sign of maturity. 22nd verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such things, there is no law. In other words, it's of the, it's the child of the free woman, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes, you know, and this, this is the great debate. Is the fruit of the Spirit the Holy Spirit or the human spirit? Well, it doesn't matter because they're one. 
But see, we try to divide it and we argue about it because we don't really see it as being one. I'm one with Christ and Christ is one with me. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. He, is, he has filled my spirit. And so I'm, I'm wall to wall Holy Ghost. And so are you. Now I, I listed those uh, fruit and gave a real brief description of each one of them. And then there's some, some of them have some scriptures. And so uh, I'll just encourage you to um, study that out for yourself. Verse 23, again, the end of the verse says, against such things there is no law. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, there's no need for the law. Verse 24, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The flesh is the bondwoman. Passion and desires is what it produces. And so it says, those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. You know, this is, here it says it's already done. Your flesh has been crucified. But yet, you know, Paul says, I die, I die daily. In other words, there's an ongoing event where we have to put to death the deeds, the passions of the flesh every day. It's an ongoing process that's going to continue until the day that we are face to face with Jesus. But this is where the tongue comes in again. This is where our direction comes in. This is where what do we believe comes in. Do we believe that our flesh has been crucified with Christ? Do we see it as being hung on that cross, that it's dead, that it has no longer any right to tell me what to do? You know, it's kind of crude, but when I was pastoring up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, on an Easter morning, I had a friend of mine come in and, and preach that morning. And when he was going to, going to school, he, he lived out in Oregon. In Oregon, um, you didn't have to be a, a, a licensed funeral director to be able to pick up bodies. And so they'd hire people to just do that. And so while he was going to college, that was one of the things that he would do for all these big funeral homes. He'd just go in the middle of the night and pick up people for him. And he says, you know, it's a very interesting thing, though. He says, when you get that body and you put it on that slab, he said, you can tickle it, you can slap it, you can do whatever, it doesn't respond. And the reason it doesn't respond is because it's dead. We need to see our flesh as being dead. That it doesn't respond to the things of the world. There, you know, Brother Hagin said this one time. He said, I haven't been sick a day for 25 years. But he said, I've had lots of opportunities. We will continuously have opportunities to allow the flesh to rule in our life unless we recognize it as being dead. Because if it's dead, it has no voice. Verse 25 and 26. 
If we live in the Spirit, it's the condition. If is conditional. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, if we're in the Spirit. And we are, because we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Works, you earn a wage. You get what's coming to you. I don't want what's coming to me. Fruit is what is produced. You don't ever hear a tree grunting. At least I haven't. This building is made of trees and it grunts a little bit when the wind is blowing. But to bear fruit, you'll never find a tree grunting, trying. It just does because that's what they do. We bear fruit because that's what we do. Because we're children of God, led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good evening.